couple of places, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6, and we'll look at those passages in due time. As Adam mentioned at the very beginning, I want to just emphasize once again and give it some pastoral encouragement that today is baptism day. We'll be celebrating baptisms of two young men this morning or this afternoon at four o'clock at the uh, Fitzgerald's uh, home, as Adam mentioned, four o'clock. And I want to just encourage you in this because this isn't just for those young men. It's not just for Jack and for Dylan. Okay, it's for the whole church. I'll talk more about this tonight, but baptism is an ordinance of the church. This is something that we're doing for these young men because they're placing their faith, they place their faith in Jesus Christ, but it's a time when the church witnesses and bears witness to that faith and that we can encourage them in their walk and it's a time for us to remember our own baptisms and for us to be encouraged ourselves. Let me just encourage you, give you this extra pastoral encouragement to come out tonight at four o'clock. Baptisms are a very exciting thing, but I want us to understand this is a communal exercise. This is a, an opportunity for the entire body uh, to gather together. Today is also a special day because we're going to be ordaining uh, men to the offices of elder and deacon. We're going to ordain two new elders, Adam and Tim, and a new deacon in Philip to serve our church body. Ordination is the practice of officially installing individuals to serve in these biblical offices that God has established for his church. And so by ordination, we are publicly recognizing that God has qualified, gifted, and called these men to serve, and we are setting them apart to serve in these official capacities. Now, the words ordain and ordination are not used in this sense in Scripture, but we see the practice of ordination throughout Scripture that gives us a precedent for how we ordain these men to serve as elders and deacons. In the Old Testament, Moses ordained Joshua to succeed him in leading the nation of Israel. We saw that back in our Joshua study back in the spring. Jesus commissioned his disciples at the, after his resurrection, before his ascension, to undertake the mission of world evangelization and discipleship of new believers. We read in Acts 14 during Paul's first missionary journey that when Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the gospel and established churches that they ordained elders in these newly planted churches and that later on in Ephesus as he was, as Timothy, excuse me, as uh, Paul is near the end of his life, he ordains Timothy to serve as the pastor at Ephesus and to minister and to labor there for the sake of the gospel. And so our attempt this morning is to do that as well. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to preach on this topic. I know we just did this, uh, what, about six months ago, seven months ago, when we were going through our series in the church. We taught on pastors, or excuse me, pastors and elders specifically. But we're going to do that again today because this is important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember what the Bible says about these offices. The church is, understanding what the church is is critical for us as believers, because this is God's plan for believers to assemble together as a church and to do things together as a church body, to be his hands and feet in the world, the assembling of the saints. And so church polity is, is essential to the health and function of the church. And so we're going to use this opportunity to, to preach on this and teach on this. And after I'm done with the sermon, we will ordain these men. We'll pray, the elder, I'll ask the elders and our other deacon, Jeff, to come and to, to pray for these men, uh, to specifically set them apart for this work. But I pray that in this message, 
that for those of you who are now being called to this task, to Adam and to Tim and to, and to Philip, that you will, I think, see obviously what it is that God is calling you to. What commitments you have made to God and to this church. And to be reminded of the task that the Lord is laying before you. And for the, for the church, I would also say that this message is for us. This isn't just me preaching to three guys. This is for us to, to know how we can be, benefit from the ministry that they will provide to us. How we can encourage them and support them in their labors for the Lord and how we will receive the benefits of their ministry in our own lives. So we're going to be looking at several different scriptures in the New Testament. And I will share those as we go along. But if you again have a Bible open, you might want to have it to 1 Peter 5 and to Acts chapter 6. And we'll get to those in due time. Let me start with the office of elder. Let's look at the elder first, the office of elder. And I want to start by looking at some terminology uh, for this particular responsibility. The terminology, the, the, the New Testament uses three different terms to describe the same office. Elder, pastor, and overseer. Okay? Elder, pastor, and over, overseer. All three of those are synonymous. An elder, a pastor, and an overseer are all the same office and all the same person. In Titus chapter 1, Paul writes to Titus and says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. So Paul uses two words there, elder and overseer, to describe the same person. Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in the churches on the island of Crete, churches that he had probably proclaimed the gospel to, or at least to new believers, established churches. Titus was to come in and appoint elders over those churches. But in verse 7, he identified those elders as overseers, as those who oversee the work of the ministry there. And we also use the word pastor to speak of the same person, although that word only appears once in the New Testament. That's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And Paul explains there in that passage that one of the gifts that God gave to the church is pastors. And so we can say that all three of these terms, these titles, elder, pastor, overseer, refer interchangeably to the same office and the same person. Now, what about the responsibilities? Why do we even need to use three terms to describe this particular office or this particular position? And I think we see something of that in the three terms themselves. Because to describe what an elder is to do and to be really needs more than just one word. Those three words really encompass the, the fullness of what the responsibility of an elder is, or the main responsibilities of an elder is. We see all of those three responsibilities in two New Testament passages. They come together in two New Testament passages in particular. The main one I'll be looking at is in 1 Peter chapter 5. So let's look at that passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Peter writing, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter here is addressing the elders of the churches that are scattered throughout 
the country that we today would know as the country of Turkey. And he charges them with three duties that correspond to these offices, these titles or terms, pastor, elder, and overseer. Let's look at each of those one by one. Let's start with the word pastor. The word pastor in the Latin is really, just means the word shepherd. It's really a Latin word that comes over into English. And it means shepherd. Literally, it just means a shepherd. Pastors are spiritual shepherds who imitate the work of the chief shepherd that Peter notes in verse 4 as Jesus Christ. Now think about what shepherds do. What, what do shepherds do? Well, primarily shepherds care for sheep. They lead them to green pastures and to fresh water so they can eat and drink. They herd them together so that none wanders off into danger. They protect them from predators or other dangers that threaten them harm. And they bind up their wounds and nurse them to health when they are injured. And this is what Christ does for his own people. He cares for us in every possible way. He provides for our needs. He leads us safely in his ways. He protects us from spiritual harm. He binds, us, binds up our wounds. He cares for his people. And so Peter exhorts his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the word pastor there is not used, but the shepherding imagery is. One of an elder's main responsibilities is to shepherd the church, which Peter here calls the flock of God that is among you. That's referring to the local church. He says that one of the main responsibilities of an elder is to shepherd this church, to shepherd God's people in the local church. By shepherding the church, an elder cares for the church. He nourishes it. He provides for its needs. He binds up its wounds. He protects it from danger. So elders are pastors. And that's a very important part of probably the key aspect here of what a, an elder does or a pastor does is to care for the church, to shepherd them. Just as Christ cares for us, those elders in the church are the hands and feet of Jesus, the incarnate ministry of Jesus here in our presence in this local body. And Peter also uses the word elder in verse 1 to identify these leaders. He, he calls and says, I, I exhort the elders among you. Now, the word elder in Greek is the word presbyteros, which simply just means an older one, someone who is older. So elders refers to the older ones in the church. But Peter here is not referring to men who are older in age. He's referring to those who are older in their spiritual maturity. Elders are spiritually mature men. Now, because we all come to Christ by means of the gospel and that that can occur in any age of life, the apostles envisioned that spiritually mature men would lead the church. And the reason to put spiritually mature men in leadership is so that they can be an example to the church regarding their own spiritual maturity. So as you are growing in your own spiritual maturity, God has given you elders, not simply to shepherd you in growing in spiritual maturity, but also to be examples of what that spiritual maturity should look like. Peter says in verse 3 that elders are to be an example to the flock. As spiritually mature men, elders are to reflect to the church what a godly life looks like. We should be able to look to these men and see spiritual maturity laid out, lived out right before us, right before our very eyes. We should see their example and we should imitate their example as a pattern for our own spiritual maturity. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, although the writer of Hebrews does not use the word elders, it's clear that he's implying that. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that's why in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 7 through 9, that Paul lays out the characteristics, the qualifications, the spiritual example that an elder must meet. Titus chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must be arrogant, or he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So that list lays out the qualifications, the characteristics that we would want to see in these men who serve in this capacity. And that list reveals that elders aren't spiritual superheroes. In fact, they aren't really held to any higher standard than we would hope for any other Christian, right? Look at those, look at those characteristics. Do we want Christians who are arrogant, drunk, or undisciplined? Absolutely not, right? We don't want any Christians of that kind of any sort. And that means that we especially want our elders to meet these qualifications so that they can help the rest of us attain those same qualifications ourselves. In fact, the only attribute in these lists, whether it's Titus, Titus 1, or 1 Timothy 3, the only attribute that distinguishes an elder from others in the congregation is his ability to teach. For 1 Timothy 3, 2 summarizes Titus 1, 9 and says that an elder must be able to teach. And that's because by his teaching ministry, an elder is able to shepherd and care for the church. But other than that qualification, the rest are what we all want to meet. If, if someone were to tell me, look, my, if they could look into the future and say, your sons are going to be what Titus 1, 6 through 9 says, or 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says, would I want that for my own boys? Absolutely. Would I want that for all my children? Yes, absolutely I would. This is what we all should aspire to. And that's why God gives us elders so that we can see examples, living examples of how we can all continue to grow in that spiritual maturity in Christ. All right, so we've considered pastor, we've considered elder. The third term is the word overseer. Overseer. Again, Peter doesn't use this title in his uh, passage here, his exhortation to the elders in the uh, region of Turkey, but he does re- point to the responsibility that is associated with it. In verse 2, he says that they are to, ex- that they are to exercise oversight. So an overseer oversees, right? Not that hard. An overseer oversees. An elder, a pastor oversees. Oversight here points to the leadership and management and care of the church body. It refers to being able to lead and to be an example and to care for the members of the church as they're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It also means that they oversee the ministry of the church so that it functions properly. So even though all three of those terms, elder, pastor, overseer, are not used in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, Peter nevertheless highlights all three responsibilities that those terms convey. The other New Testament passage that brings all of these ideas together, pastor, elder, overseer, is in Acts chapter 20. It's verses 17 to 38. I don't have time to read all that and to go through an exposition. But essentially what's happening there is that Paul is journeying to Jerusalem. 
And along the way, he stops in Miletus and calls the Ephesian elders to come to him so that he can give them one last exhortation about the work that they are to do in Ephesus. And in verse 28, we read that he exhorts the Ephesian elders about their ministry. He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul, who had called the elders of Ephesus to him in Miletus, in chapter 20, verse 17, addresses them as overseers in verse 28. And he charges them to care for the church of God, whom he calls the flock. Again, using that shepherding or pastoral imagery. These elders in Ephesus are to act as pastors and shepherds to care for the church. So Paul here underscores what he says in Titus 1-7, that the elders of Ephesus have a ministry that's been given to them by God. It is a stewardship from God. It is a grace. It is a gift. It is a trust that he has given to these men to carry out this task. This church that they are to oversee belongs to Jesus. He's the Lord of the church. He is the chief shepherd of the flock. Why? Well, Paul tells us in Acts 20, 28, because he obtained it with his own blood. Jesus paid the redemption price for these people, these believers, to be his people. He paid that price on the cross when he died for them and for their sins. So these people whom he has redeemed are his people. And brothers who are going to serve as elders and who are serving as elders, I would just remind us that these people are God's people. They are Christ's people. And we are to love them with Christ's love. And we are to shepherd them with Christ's care just as he does because he laid his life down for them. In his absence, as he is gone, he has ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Christ has entrusted to the elders these people, his people, to shepherd in his absence. So elders then are to minister in Christ's stead, applying his work among his people. Now the application, I think, is pretty clear, right? At least for the, for the brothers who are going to serve, right? The application is pretty clear. Everything I've just talked about, really, again, I'm talking to the whole church, but I'm talking specifically to them. This is what the Lord is calling you to. These are the responsibilities that you willingly are undertaking. But if you're not an elder, and of course that would apply now to everybody except five of us in this room, what application can you take from these instructions from the Bible about elders? Let me give you four. First, Seek out the pastoral care of the elders. Seek out the pastoral care of the elders. Now, elders should be actively caring for the church. But it's impossible for us to know everything that is happening in every family all of the time. So if you need an elder's ministry, please seek it out. They're here to pray for you and counsel you and encourage you and point you to the word for all of life's needs and issues. Number two, second application. Obey your elders. Obey your elders. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. If elders are vested with authority to care for, lead, and oversee the church, then church members should submit to those leaders. This is God's gift to you. This is God's grace 
to you. Authority is a good thing. I'll read a passage later on from Second Samuel which talks about the grace that godly authority, that godly leadership is for the congregation. Elders should, ought, ought to be careful to shepherd gently and kindly and patiently following the pastor, uh, the, 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 the pattern of our chief shepherd. But church, understand that obedience is a good thing. Submission is a good thing. Authority is a good thing. And so willingly obey your elders. Number three, third application, encourage your elders. Encourage your elders. First Timothy 5 verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you can encourage your elders by honoring them. Let them know that you support them. Express your appreciation for their ministry and share with them ways that their ministry has blessed you and the church. Again, Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You do not want joyless elders. Joyful elders are a blessing to the church. And so by encouraging them and supporting them, expressing your appreciation for them and for their ministry, because it can be very demanding, it can be very taxing, this work that we are, are called to do. And we, we undertake it willingly and gratefully. It is a stewardship that we, we hold dear. And so we labor, though that it's great, with great difficulty, we do it because the Lord's called us to this. But you can encourage them and make their laboring, their eldering joyful by supporting them and encouraging them in their ministry. It is to your benefit for elders to labor joyfully. And then fourth application, pray for your elders. Pray for your elders. Elders have been called to divine ministry. They've been called to the ministry of applying Christ's love and care to the church. And that's an impossible task unless God provides help. And thankfully, he gives elders help through the Holy Spirit as the Spirit empowers them to serve. But we also know that God works through means. And specifically, he works through the means of prayer. He provides help to his elders as you are praying for them. And so I would encourage you to pray for elders, for your elders, that God would aid them and equip them for his ministry. And one thing in particular that you can be praying for them about is their continued character, their continued qualifications. Because the qualifications that we have, been, that we have to meet in order to be an elder are the qualifications that we have to continue to express and to show to continue in this ministry. And so as you're praying for your elders, I would encourage you to, to open your Bible to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, or Titus 1, 5 through 9. And as you're reading those passages, pray for those things, for those attributes to be lived out in their lives. That they would continue to not be arrogant or to, to not be a drunkard, but to, to labor well, that God would bless them in their teaching and in their caring and in their pastoral ministry. You can use those passages as a, as a prayer list so they would continue to be faithful in their ministry. All right, those are four applications about the office of elder. Let's look at the office of deacon because that's also a scriptural office. We don't have as much information about the ministry of deacon as we do the ministry of elder, but we do have information nonetheless, and so we should look at that. 
And let's think about the office of deacon in two parts. First, their character, and then secondly, their ministry. So their character, let's consider the character of a deacon first. There are two main passages that inform us about the ministry of a deacon, about the office of a deacon. That's 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, and Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6. But if we look at those passages closely, those passages tell us more about what a deacon should be rather than what a deacon should do. It has some information about what a deacon should do, but those passages are primarily about what a deacon should be, his character. Let me read those two passages for you. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for them, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Then Acts chapter 6, that was the other passage I asked you to turn to at the very beginning. And we'll look more deeply at that in a moment. Let me just read the passage for us, because it is a narrative that describes... Uh, the, the, basically the, or, the origins of a deacon. Uh, Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So we can say first and foremost that a deacon must be an exemplary Christian. The attributes required of a deacon in this passage, are distinctively Christian. They are Christian attributes. And in fact, if you were to compare the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and the qualifications of a deacon in chapters, in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, you would see considerable overlap. In fact, the only significant difference, again, is that an elder must be able to teach. So what can we say about a deacon? A deacon is a spiritually mature person who, whose life gives evidence of regeneration and a continuing, deep, abiding walk with God. The attributes that we seek out for a deacon are attributes that we would want every Christian to possess. And so in that sense, the qualifications that set deacons apart from the rest of the church are not extraordinary. They're qualifications that we should all be meeting and living up to. But a deacon, because he is set apart in this office and for this task, exhibits exemplary characteristics to the church. The entire church should be able to look at a deacon and see an example of personal godliness and piety that we should all reflect in our own lives. So that is the character of a deacon. Well, what do deacons do? And here the New Testament provides far less detail. The word itself, the word deacon, means literally servant. What happened when the Bible was being translated from the Greek into the English is that the the New Testament, the translators 
just simply transliterated. They took the Greek letters and made it English letters, essentially. So the word deacon is really a Greek word, and it literally means servant. And that probably tells us more than anything about what a deacon does. He serves the church. Now, again, in reality, all Christians are called to serve the church. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says that, again, speaking to the entire congregation, to the churches of Galatia, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. We're all to be serving one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes, as each has received the gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God has called every Christian to serve him. And he has provided gifts by the Holy Spirit to use in his service to do his work to edify the church. And so the church doesn't relegate the task of service to deacons alone. But deacons do serve the church in an official capacity. And in doing so, they model for the church what a life of service and devotion to God looks like. And what kind of service do deacons perform for the church? That, again, is a little bit more... Or not, there's not as much information that we have in here as we would have, say, for an elder. We do look at the passage in Acts chapter 6, though, as an example, or as a, some kind of a, a reference point. Although the word deacon does not appear in that passage, most biblical scholars do believe that it gives us the account of the origins of the office of deacon. The verb serve, which is diakoneo, which is the verbal form of the, the word diakonos, which is the word for deacon, which literally means servant. The word diakoneo, the verb appears in chapter 6, verse 2. Those men appointed by the church then are considered to have served the church in an official capacity. They were the first deacons, if you will. And we learn two things concerning the service of these deacons that indicates the kind of ministry that deacons provide to the church. First, deacons assist the elders so that they can fulfill their ministry calling. Now again, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, gives us some kind of an account of what happened in those early days after Pentecost, as the gospel was being proclaimed and people were coming to faith in Christ. The church was exploding in numerical growth. And in Acts chapter 6, we read of really the first problem, the first crisis that the church was facing because of this exponential growth. It says that, 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 that this church growth was, was phenomenal, that it was, it was increasing in number, it was exploding, it was a good thing, but it was presenting some monumental challenges. Luke records that some widows who received care from the church and support from the church primarily because they didn't have enough food, were receiving a daily distribution of food, and that there were some widows who were being neglected from that daily distribution. They weren't receiving the amount that they had been normally getting from the church and had, that the church had been called to provide for them for their needs. The apostles who are in this account, the antecedents to church elders, were maxed out, if you will, in their ministry. To serve the widows and to ensure that they were receiving their daily distribution would have taken them from their primary calling, which in verse 4 says was the ministry of prayer and the word. That is, again, the ministry of the word referring there to preaching and teaching. The apostles, their primary responsibility in those early days was to pray for the church, to pray for God's working among the, the church, but also the ministry of preaching and teaching, evangelization, discipling the saints that they're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. To serve the widows would have taken, it was an important task. Crucially important. 
But to do that would have taken them away from the thing that God had really called them to do. And so the apostles came before the church and they told the church, look, select seven men who meet the qualifications that they laid out for them in verse 3. Men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Call out seven men to do this task. And so when that happens, the deacons that are appointed are able to assist the elders by providing that daily distribution of food. And so they they are assisting the elders really in two ways. First, if the apostles were responsible here, again, as forerunners of of the elders, if the apostles were responsible for overseeing the church, the deacons facilitated the ministry that made proper oversight possible. In other words, without deacons, the apostles were not faithfully overseeing the ministry of the church because ministry responsibilities were falling through the cracks. Those things needed to be done. And it was on the apostles' shoulders to do them. So if the apostles neglected that ministry, they were falling down upon their responsibilities to oversee the ministry of the church. But with deacons, the apostles could exercise proper oversight because the deacons were assisting the the apostles here, again, forerunners of elders, to ensure that the ministry of the church was being fulfilled. So, if the, again, the apostles, as forerunners of elders, are to oversee the church and make sure everything is going as it, as it should, providing oversight, seeing that the ministries are fulfilled, they can do that because the deacons have been set aside to serve in this capacity and ensure that this ministry was being fulfilled. And the second way that deacons assisted the elders here was by freeing them to do the essential work that God had called them to do, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. Because the deacons were serving and assisting the elders by serving the widows and giving them their daily distribution, the apostles, again as forerunners of the elders, were able to devote themselves fully to prayer and the ministry of the word. The elders were free to fulfill that ministry because the deacons had come alongside of them to care for other necessary matters that needed to be done so that the apostles were not distracted. So the first way in which deacons serve the church is by assisting the elders in their ministry. Could you imagine what it would be like if, in addition to prayer and the ministry of the word, I'm also responsible for facility upkeep or setting up the Lord's table every week or making sure that, uh, that, that uh, the, the widows were taken care of or that the financial needs of the church are being met. I mean, I'd be all, I mean, I'd be, my hair would be all over, you know, like Beaker from the Muppets, right? Just kind of in crazy mode, right? I'd probably go crazy because of all those things that needed to be done. But yet deacons come alongside the elders and help them in their ministry. The second aspect of deacon ministry here that I think is important to note is that they meet the practical needs of the church. The first deacons in Acts 6 met a practical need. They supplied food to the widow, to the needy widows. If you look through the, the history of the church, Deacons have maintained the church's property and facilities. They've administered the church's finances. They've provided benevolent care to those in need. And they've prepared the ordinances. They ensure that the ordinary and mundane needs of ministry are taken care of. But I want you to hear this. Practical does not mean unimportant. Right? What would happen if Jeff did not set up the communion for this morning? We wouldn't be able to partake of it, would we? And that's an essential aspect of our worship. So practical does not mean unimportant. In fact, it means crucially important. 
He comes here early. He sets that up and puts it on the table so that we, when we come to worship the Lord, we can receive the table as part of our worship, receiving the grace of our Lord in, in tasting and eating and drinking the gospel of Jesus Christ that is symbolized in those elements. So, practical does not mean unimportant. It's essential. It's crucial ministry. Elders and deacons labor side by side. And for that reason, then, deacons are a blessing to the elders because they willingly make sacrifices so that elders can do the work that God has called them to do, prayer and ministry of the Word. And also because of deacon ministry, deacons are a blessing to the church because it frees elders to give their full attention, their full ministry attention to the church. And so again, the application for those who serve as deacons, I think it's pretty clear. This is what they are to do among us. But what application might the church take away from the Bible's instruction on deacons? Let me give you three things. First, be grateful for deacons. Be grateful for deacons and for the ministry that they provide to the church because they often serve in the background and because they meet practical needs. We don't often appreciate their work. But we would notice if we started seeing needs unmet, right? If faucets continued to leak and toilets didn't work and lights couldn't come on and the grass wasn't cut and the shrubs weren't trimmed. We would notice that, right? Anybody notice the, tr- the shrubs this morning? Nobody noticed. That's because a few weeks ago there was a deacon candidate who came and cut those. So they wouldn't be noticed, right? We don't want to notice it when things go wrong. We want to notice it when things go right. And so because they meet... They, they meet important needs that aren't often seen. We need to be grateful for them and encourage them in their service to us and to the Lord. Number two, pray for deacons. Pray for deacons. Deacons make sacrifices to serve. They do work that people rarely see. They often deal with practical matters that can be rather challenging to resolve. And they also, they have lives and families that they leave behind at times to serve us as a church body. And like elders, they have qualifications that they need to meet, not just meet to become a deacon, but meet to continue to be a deacon. And they face the same kind of pressures and temptations that would try to undermine those characteristics and thus disqualify them. And so we should be mindful to pray for our deacons regularly. And the number three, third application, serve with deacons. Serve with deacons. Just because deacons are the church's servants doesn't mean that the work, all the work of serving, belongs to them. All Christians are to serve one another. And to that extent, we come alongside deacons to serve with them so that they fulfill their ministry. Second Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4 speaks to the, the grace that God gives to us in our church leaders, elders and deacons. David writes, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And we've been in a nice season here for the last week or so, right? The cooler weather in the morning, the beautiful sun, the blue skies, not a cloud in the sky. Took the boys to the football game yesterday, and other than being a little hot in the stands, it was a beautiful, it was a gorgeous day, right? You think about how just the beauty of those cloudless mornings and the deep blue sky and the sun shining brightly and the, the grass green, the flowers blooming. Think about how just that lifts your heart. 
what David is saying here is that it's even more of a blessing to have leaders who rule us well, who lead us well, who serve us well. Elders and deacons are a gift from God to the church. We are thankful for the men already serving in these capacities, and we are excited for those who are officially beginning their service today. May God bless these men in their service to our church. And may he bless our church through their ministry, all for his glory and honor, and all for the edification of his church, the church whom Jesus shed his blood for to redeem. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed thankful for your word, and we are thankful for these offices of elder and deacon. And we are thankful that we can teach about them and preach about them, and we're even more thankful that we can actually ordain men this morning. So I pray, Lord, that you would have these words sink deep into our heart. May we not only be instructed with our minds, but, Lord, may we be moved in our hearts and our bodies to obey what your word says. For those brother elders and deacons who are going to be serving, Lord, that you would help them in their tasks and responsibilities that are to come. But, Lord, for the church to receive their ministry. And so you glorify your name and you bless your church, edify your church through their ministry. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.